Pause a moment. We've been going three quarters of an hour now, so maybe that you need to stretch a little bit. Um, you can stand up if you want. Um, I used to encourage people to do that. Stand up, stretch a little bit, stretch your fingers out, roll your neck a little bit. Uh, you can even speak to the person next to you for a moment because we're just waiting for some slides to come up. Okay? We want to be able to listen to what God is saying to us. So whatever you need to do in order to do that for this next moment, just please do it. <laughs> uh, that's important. Are we okay? We think we're okay. All right. Um, sure. Hasn't animation changed? Um, just looking at the, the thing that Rachel <laughs> showed us, uh, uh, animation has just developed incredibly, hasn't it? When I was a kid, this is the kind of thing I grew up on, yeah? Um, some of you are nodding as well. The Mr. Men. Um, I don't know if you recognize any of the Mr. Men that I've put up there for you. What about the top row? Any ideas? Some people are shaking their heads. Is that, is that too difficult for you? Top left? Go on, shout them out. Anybody got any ideas? Mr. Perfect. Yes, of course. Mr. Perfect. Any of those here today? Mr. Perfect. What about the one on the right? Top right. Mr. Grumpy. Yeah, Mr. Grumpy. Remember him? Uh, uh, bottom, bottom left? What have got there? Oh, that's a cheap joke. Sorry, that's a cheap joke. Bottom left? Mr. Lazy, Mr. Lazy, and the and the, the last one. Any ideas? <laughs> you look like you, Cos. He's got a green shirt. You got a green shirt on today, Mr. Mr. Messi. Yeah, of course, Mr. Messi. Remember the Mr. Men? Um, any, of course, they did the little Miss series as well, didn't they? Any ideas? Miss Wise. Any little Miss Wise is here today? Yes, Wise. Hmm, not sure. How about this fella here? Mr. Topsy Turvy. Mr. Topsy Turvy. Yeah, there he is. That was one of my favourite episodes actually as a kid. Um, it was, I, I thought it was very funny. Uh, Mr. Topsy living in his Topsy Turvy world, like his hat. Um, his world was upside down. Um, and it's a funny idea for a story, isn't it, really? Um, he goes into a clothes shop in the book uh, and he asks for a sock of pears. Um, I was, oh, a sock of pears, have you got that? A sock of pears? He wanted a pair of socks, great. He wanted a pair of socks, of course. Uh, and um, um, the, the writer, Roger Hargreaves, uh, finishes the story with a, with a question. Can you think of something that's topsy-turvy to say? Can you think of something that's topsy-turvy to say? Um, well, um, I was thinking about that when I thought about our first verse here that we're looking at. So what if, you, if you've got the Bible in front of you, just glance down at that first verse. Um, I can't think of anything that sounds more topsy-turvy than this. Can you? Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. But rejoice. That sounds topsy-turvy, doesn't it? And you'll know if you've been coming these last past weeks that, that suffering well is, is a major theme of 
Peter's letter. Um, and so you might be thinking, oh, have we got this again, suffering again? Um, it was hinted at right at the beginning of Peter's letter with the phrase, elect exiles. And we already begin to get a sense that suffering is going to feature in this letter. It's how Peter began the main part of the, le- the letter after the niceties. It's what he mentions in chapter 1, verse 6, especially, the first major part. Um, Suffering is to be expected as Christians try to do good. Chapter 2, verse 12. And it's implied in Peter's tough charge. Let's face it, we've been looking at over these last few weeks to suffer uh, as we submit to every human institution. Submission in the home. Resisting sinful desires. Keeping speaking about Christ and so on. And the suffering is implied in all of that too, isn't it? Where we live on Alderfield Drive, we've got a great view of the plains as they, as they come in towards their landing. Yeah? And we might like to think of this part of 1 Peter as that now. He's landing the plane. The plane is coming in. And he's returning, as he does, to that theme of suffering, I would say, with even more directness. An incredible learning for us um, this morning. In these verses, what Peter says sounds topsy-turvy to our ears. But it seems to me, and I want you to listen very carefully now, because I've chosen my words very carefully in what I'm saying. I'm not just throwing them out. I've been very careful in in, in what I want to say to you this morning. It seems to me, and I'm talking to you about the big idea of this passage now. It seems to me that Peter makes Christian suffering... The surprising secret of happiness. That's the big idea. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice. Your happiness today, tomorrow, next week, depends upon real Christian suffering. Or put another way, you will not know the heights of happiness that your heart was made for unless you suffer Christianly. Or again, we should welcome Christian suffering. If we run away from suffering Christianly, if we choose the path of least resistance, you will not be happy, these verses say. Woe to you and I when we run from suffering Christianly or choose the easy path. Now I know that's going to take some explaining, but, but that is Paul's big message right at the top there. I'm going to explain that to you, but before I do, try and open that up. There are two important things I want to say first of all, and put up on the screen for you. Number one, these verses apply to you and me, and not just to persecuted Christians around the world, for example, in a place like Iran, number one. These apply, this is truth here this morning, for you. And it is truth for me. What does Peter mean by suffering here? Well, we should answer that by looking at how he writes about suffering in the passage. And he mentions it in about five places here in the passage. What does he mean by suffering? Number one, this is Christian suffering. It is the suffering of Christian believers. 
And so I want to make that clear and say at the outset that if you're not a believer here this morning and we're so glad that you're here with us, um, this is suffering addressed to, to, to Christian believers who are suffering. And if you're not a, a believer here today, um, more suffering is not the secret of, of happiness, of your happiness. Um, and I want to say to you, believe it or not, the Bible tells us that in the suffering you see and experience in your life, God is reaching out to you in love because he wants you to know peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing through your suffering. But this is Christian suffering. And secondly, for these particular Christians Peter's writing to, it obviously includes the kind of fierce anti-Christian suffering that in verse 14 brings insult. Yeah? Um, I mean, Christians in Iran could fairly call their suffering a painful trial or a fiery trial, which is what it says in verse 12. So we say, are these lessons only for persecuted Christians? Well, I've already said, I don't think so. Why? Well, talk about fiery trials in verse 12 sounds like something we've heard before in chapter 1, verse 6, where Peter talks about various trials, various trials that test the genuineness of faith as gold is tested by fire. We should make us think back to that. And look at verse 16 where he talks about suffering as a Christian. If you suffer as a Christian. Okay, I want to say that's general. And then in verse 19, Peter says to people suffering as a Christian, he says, commit yourselves to your faithful creator and what? And do good. Do good. Now that's a very general expression, isn't it? Do good. So here's my conclusion. Okay? This bit is about any kind of suffering where the direction of your life is to honour Christ by doing what he would have you do. Let me say that again. It's, it's any kind of suffering in which the direction of your life you are seeking to honour Christ by doing what he would have you do. And suffering comes to you. We call it elsewhere unjust suffering. That's what this is about. We mustn't narrow it down if we're going to understand it properly. So what does that mean? It means if mindful of Christ, you bite your lip, when, uh, you know, instead of lashing out when somebody hurts you, or says something unkind to you, that these verses are for you. If mindful of Christ, you, you, you've not given in to sexual temptation when you want to, then these verses are for you. If mindful of Christ, that's how, what, you, what you're doing. If mindful of Christ, you lose your job, these verses are for you. If mindful of Christ, you get ill, or you have to tough it out in a difficult marriage, or job, or family relationship, straining to do what Christ would have you do in that situation, these verses are for you. If mindful of Christ, you've got a sensitive heart that makes you feel distressed and depressed, and tempted to give up. This is for you. You got the idea? This is for you. As you experience any kind of unjust suffering. That's important. Second in, in, important uh, introductory point. For most of us, this is not comfort in suffering. And I'm speaking to people here in speak in 2013 now. And I may well speak differently if I was preaching to persecuted Christians the other side of the world. But let me say this to you. 
for most of us, this is not comfort in suffering. This is a call to suffer. Okay? It's very, very important. Now let me just part there for a moment because you might already be putting up your defences here to some of the things that I'm saying. Peter is not saying, and neither, I'm not saying that Peter's saying we should make suffering our goal. Okay? That's stupid. That's silly. Not, nor for that matter should we make happiness our goal. And I've used that word here um, because it's a word that we understand. We make honouring the name, glorifying God, doing the right thing regardless of suffering. That's what we make the goal. Okay? But I am saying that for Peter, suffering and the sweetest happiness in life do belong together. Isn't that amazing? And in as much as we don't believe that, and oh, I find that so hard to believe, don't you? We need not comfort in suffering, but the call to suffer. Yet these sentences of the Bible, they just don't allow me to gently console you. I would love to do that. Those of you that know me know that that's kind of in my nature. They don't let me do that. They don't let me just put an arm around you and say, there, there. You know, it's not even stand firm. He's any much higher than that. He really is, isn't he? Rejoice, rejoice, he says. He's linking happiness with Christian suffering. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, verse 13, but rejoice. Don't be surprised. Do rejoice. What does Peter mean? Is he saying, pull your socks up? Always look on the bright side of life, you know, like a song. Well, it can't be that, because he says, rejoice that you. Look at the verse. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Not rejoice in spite of, but rejoice that you, or because you participate in the sufferings of Christ. It sounds like a command, but you can't command somebody to rejoice. We try to do that from the front here sometimes, don't we? And you can't do it. God knows that. He's not stupid. It is a command. It is a command. But God never commands us something we can't do. And so there we have it. Peter's not joking. He's telling us to walk with him, if you like, into a place of great mystery, of the deep wisdom of God. He's telling us to walk with him into the kingdom of God today. A topsy-turvy world, we might want to call it, where suffering for the honour of Christ is the secret of happiness. And I want to say to you, it's nothing new in terms of what he said. It's what he said to the suffering Christians in chapter 1, verse 6, because he said, in this you rejoice, though grieved by various trials, though you've not seen him, you believe in him, and rejoice, he said, with a joy that is inexplicable. He's already said it in chapter 1, verse 6. And now he's driving home that message, because we will just miss it. So what do we need to know? If that's, that's, if that's the great aim, what do we need to know if we, we are to suffer well? If we, somehow in our hearts, are to be able to put those two things together, the deepest joy and happiness and Christian suffering, what do we need to know? Well, briefly, three truths from these verses we're going to look at now. Three truths. Number one, you are sharing, he says, in Christ's suffering. Verse 13, 
Have a look at it. Don't be surprised at the painful trial, but rejoice that you participate in sharing the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In what way do I share in Christ's suffering? I didn't feel his childhood agony as they called him a bastard because he was conceived before Mary had married Joseph. I didn't feel his agony of being betrayed and deserted by Peter and his closest friends in his hour of need. I didn't feel Jesus' agony in the garden when he cried out, Father, take this cup away from me. I didn't feel the agony of his keeping within himself what he could have done as the soldiers kicked and punched and beat him with rods and thrust the crown he thought on his head and spat on the Son of God. I didn't feel the agony of of breathlessness, of him reaching for his breath. I didn't feel the agony of, of Jesus as he pushed down on the nails in his feet in order to lift himself up in order to try and catch a breath as his body weighed down on his lungs to try and stop him from breathing. I didn't feel that agony. But I want to say to you, oh, the privilege. Oh, the privilege that these verses say that God might grant me to share in his suffering. Oh, friends, what a privilege. What a privilege. Church, it is an enormous privilege for me these last three months to be able to work with Steve here, to be able to partner with Steve, to be his partner in this church. I feel so privileged, so privileged. But it is as nothing compared to the privilege of partnering with Christ. Do you feel that? The privilege of partnering with Jesus in his suffering. And the image I want you to take away with you in this is of a container. Draw it with me. This is the kind of image I want you to think about. And this container, I want you to think of it as as full of the sufferings of Christ. And yet it's not full, is it? But those are the sufferings of Christ in the container there. And just as Paul can say in Colossians, another letter, he says this, and it seems really obscure, he says... In his suffering, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And you think, what? Lacking in Christ's afflictions? What a bold thing to say. And Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So, in other words, we can say, Christian, your suffering, my suffering, is part of the whole. This Christ's suffering and the suffering of his people go up to make the whole. It talks about a a certain will and a plan of God, doesn't it? Under his sovereign control. So that when it is fuller, and one day it will be full, when it is full of the suffering of his people, and not a moment before or after, then his glory will be revealed. As Christ comes, And God wipes away every tear. And there will be no more crying, no more suffering, and no more pain. So that Paul can say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You are sharing Christ's suffering. There's happiness right there. Isn't that? That's happiness right there. It's like the... What I think of it is like the smell of dinner before dinner. You know, when, um, when somebody cooks a lovely meal and you smell it first of all, even before you've tasted it, and, it, and it's lovely, isn't it? And you, you've got that anticipation of what is to come. The smell of dinner before dinner. Number two. So that's, that's why when you remember that image, that picture, number, number two, in suffering, Peter says, you are blessed. Verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You are blessed. That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's just make sure we understand what Peter's saying here. When you hear that word blessed, it may, may make us think back to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about blessed very often. Do you remember that? Those of you that have seen that in the Bible before, Blessed are you who mourn, Jesus says. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we might ask, what does that mean? We need to understand what this word blessed means. But what did it mean when Jesus was using it in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Bible days weren't much different from ours. Jesus wasn't making an observation about how things are. Those who were mourning didn't feel blessed. The meek didn't feel blessed. Those who were hungry and thirsty for righteousness didn't feel blessed. But Jesus said, you are blessed. You are blessed. It's more than a feeling. It's a reality. Jesus is saying, you are blessed. It's not observation. It's it's reorientation. He's turning them into his topsy-turvy world and getting them to see it right. But I want to say to you, at the same time, it's not less than a feeling. Hallelujah. It's not less than a feeling. Believers who listen and follow in suffering experience blessedness or blessedness. They do. A present, now reality. A sweet, deep joy. Verse 13 is about the smell of dinner before dinner. This this verse says, no, really. This is sweet, deep joy in the present, now, right now. Hand in hand with the suffering in the present. Let Let me just pause for a moment and ask you. Ask you, if you're a believer, let me ask you honestly. Think about this for a moment. Haven't the most deeply satisfying sweetest, very best moments of your life against all of the odds, have they they come in times of ease and comfort? Or have they come in the furnace of suffering? Honestly, honestly, the very deepest, sweetest, most wonderful moments of life. If you're anything like me, You'd be prepared to say, yeah, 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 you're right. They've come in those moments of suffering. They have really the very sweetest, deepest moments. Blessed. When you felt the very spirit of God and of glory resting on you, 
in those times. And you know what Jesus means here, what Peter means here, and what Jesus meant when he said blessed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of God, glory of God rests on you. And again, I want to say there's happiness there, right there. Right in the heart of suffering. Right in the present heart of suffering. Well, time's almost gone. But verse 15. Uh, just to look at that briefly. Times of suffering call for a healthy inwards look. Am I contributing to it? Is God disciplining me in love? How does he want me to change? Verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. And then our third and final truth from the passage. Because of time, we need to move on. How how are we to suffer well? Third truth. You're sharing in Christ's suffering. In suffering, you're blessed. Third truth. Through suffering, you're being saved. Through suffering, you are being saved. As a Christian pastor, it is my privilege to be able to pastor and guide the flock of God through various trials and temptations. It is a privilege. And we need shepherding because in those moments of suffering, trial and temptation, our judgment tends to be poor. And we tend to be hard even to reason with. It's kind of, I think about it like a kind of drunkenness. It's almost like trying to speak to people who are drunk. Because we just get overwhelmed with the the, the death, with the suffering that we sometimes feel. And one of the images I want to sober people up with in those moments is this. This image that keeps coming back to me again and again. This short life is like a burning building. This short life of yours and mine is like a burning building. What do you do when you're trapped in a burning building? You get out, don't you? You get out fast. You don't hang around polishing the the mantelpiece and hoovering up the floor, do you? You get out. You get out. And I want to say that a time of suffering is, if you like, an ideal, tailor-made time to prove your faith is genuine. To see where your true treasure lies. If in that moment you can maintain a confidence in God, there is a tremendous assurance. When suffering and trial comes and you follow God before it and in it and out through the other end of it, you are running through the burning building. And that is good. And you are one day closer to glory. And you are being saved. And that is good. And I need someone to point that out to me when trials and temptations make me dizzy. I hope you'll do that for me when it happens because I struggle with that so much. Just get dizzy like a drunk. I need reason. It is hard. Verse 18, it is hard. Look at it. Look down at verse 18. It is hard, it says. It is hard. But the verse continues. Verse 1, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. For the righteous to be saved. Through suffering you are being saved. Through suffering you are being saved. And that is reason for the deepest joy and happiness. If we were just to grasp it. 
for the deepest joy and happiness. Psalm 119, verse 49 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Comfort in my affliction. And so, the psalmist says in verse 56, This blessing has fallen on me, that I've kept your precepts, that I've done the right thing, that I've done good. Friends, we don't do anything else. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So to conclude, I'll just put those points up, these images, I want you to take those images away with you, those three pictures, and just a shortened description of them there. What do we do in times of suffering? If you would be blessed, if you would know the sweetest joy imaginable now, and in the time to come glory, if you would be a Christian, you could put it like that. It will involve suffering. And for most of us, just the idea that the sweetest moments depend on suffering is, is a lifelong lesson, isn't it? It takes me all my life to learn that. Mostly I need to be called to suffer. Mostly I need to be called to suffer. But let me, let me finish, tenderly if I can, if you're a believer suffering right now, and we may not be aware in detail of, of, of that. If you're a, a sufferer, who's, a believer who's suffering right now, and it's the hardest thing in the world to do the right thing when you're suffering, isn't it? To do the right. You know, we've talked about that kind of drunkenness almost, the dizziness, the headiness. To do the right thing, to love, to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to return evil with blessing, to persevere, is the hardest thing, isn't it? Well, verse 19, I think, is especially for you, as for us all, it's especially for you. Because Peter says, you must do the right thing. You must do the right thing. Do good. He says, do good. So what will it mean for you to do good? if you're in that suffering in the moment. Stop and think about that just for a moment now. What is it going to mean for you to do that good? Maybe you're in that dizziness and that kind of drunkenness that you can't really work out. You just need some help. Well, Steve and myself and the other elders, we can help you with that if you get stuck. I need help from others in those times. Let me say to you, don't stay polishing the furniture and hoovering up when the fire is raging and you need to get out of the building. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do the right thing. Do good while, verse 19, yes, this is beautiful, isn't it? While you commit yourself to your faithful creator. You can do that. You can commit yourself as you do those things and struggle with it to your faithful creator. Commit is a word which means to give it to someone for safekeeping. Isn't that beautiful? Give it to God, your creator, for safekeeping. It's the same word that Jesus uttered in his very last breath on the cross. When in suffering, he was, he was dangling on the edge of eternity. In the deepest suffering. What did he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you 
walking in the path of the Lord Jesus. Can you do that? Can you do that? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Christian suffering, the surprising secret of happiness. Shall we bow our heads and, and pray before we, before we close this song? we confess that the, uh, the kingdom of God is an upside down and topsy-turvy kind of a kingdom when we come to subjects like this and um, I guess that most of us in this room don't like suffering at all we run away from it and avoid it at all cost and so you have been teaching us something in these words today Father and we pray for each of us as you've laid that particular message on our hearts that you will help us um, that you will continue to teach us in this very difficult uh, area. And we thank you that this passage closes with a beautiful encouragement to commit our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Father, that you will help them to do the right thing, even in the midst of suffering, to know and to trust you as they entrust themselves to you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to finish by thinking about that faithful creator that we can entrust ourselves to. How do you finish a message where it talks about joy and suffering joining together? Well, only really by focusing on the faithful creator. So we're going to stand and sing... um, indescribable, isn't it? Uh, how, does it how does it go the first verse there? Well, you know, it's a song about our faithful creator. So let's, let's, let's focus on him uh, as we stand together and sing. The highest of hearts.